When Jesus had received this sour wine, he said, It is finished. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is right that on this day we might gather together and remember all that our Lord Jesus suffered for us. It is good for us to consider the agony that he endured. The beating and the scoffing and the mocking, the whip, the spit, and the nails on the cross. It is good to think about all that Jesus suffered for us. But, but here is the truly stunning thing. That while we are here to think about Jesus and all that he suffered on the cross, that we realize that when he was there, the nails holding his hands and his feet to that cross, while he was bleeding and suffering, and his life was leaving him, while he was in the midst of all this agony, he was thinking of us. And he was thinking of his father and what pleased his father. That we should be saved. The suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus was the culmination of God's plan for our salvation. And Jesus, as true God, he knew that. This plan had certainly had a certainly awesome and gracious inevitability about it. John's account of the passion makes it quite clear that there is divine necessity here in this crucifixion narrative. Jesus, he had to suffer, die, and rise again to accomplish his purpose. As Jesus told Nicodemus earlier in the book of John, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And he also told Nicodemus this, as Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. You see, the Son of Man would indeed be lifted up on the cross, just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake in the desert to save the Israelites who had been bitten by fiery serpents. But, but Jesus is lifted on the cross to save all victims of the fatal venom of sin from eternal death. And it had to be done on the cross. Think about Jesus' earthly ministry. His life was almost always in jeopardy. Angry crowds trying to kill him with stones. Or, if you recall, 
attempting to throw him off a cliff in his own town. But Jesus miraculously avoids these murder attempts because there was no cross. And this is the message of St. John's account of the crucifixion, crucifixion of Jesus. A message of the fulfillment of God's promises for us. And a fulfillment of Scripture. So Jesus' trial before Pilate wasn't just an unjust political farce meant to placate the Jewish leaders. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus reminded the Roman governor. You see, Pilate thinks that he has authority to set Jesus free. But Jesus here tells him he does not have this authority. Initially, Pilate thinks that he may in fact set Jesus free, but we know this does not happen. No, the scriptures must be fulfilled. So the events of the crucifixion are not recorded to invoke our pity. Rather, John shows them to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. But notice these three events that are singled out by St. John in our reading today. One, the soldiers gambling for Jesus' clothing. As John writes, this was to fill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You see, John here is quoting exactly word for word Psalm 22. And guess what? The soldiers did this. They did exactly this. Think about it, though. Jesus has already been nailed to the cross. He was already stripped naked, and his clothes were just lying there. The soldiers, on their own initiative, took Jesus' tunic and tried to divide it in four parts, one for each soldier. But as we learn, the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And John writes, So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This happens, fulfilling the promise of Psalm 22. Second, Jesus' words from the cross, I thirst. John tells us, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, Two fulfills the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. This is just as the psalmist writes in Psalm 69. Listen. For my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. 
And the sponge is lifted up to Jesus on the hyssop. Hyssop was the plant used to smear the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost of the Israelites. And the psalmist writes, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Psalm 51. Think about all the other murder attempts against Jesus. Attempted to be stoned to death. Attempting to throw him off a cliff, as I mentioned earlier. If that kind of death were to happen, would Jesus have had the opportunity to say, I thirst, and then been given sour wine before his death as the Old Testament prophesied? No, but the slow, agonizing death by crucifixion afforded for the opportunity for this to take place. Scripture again fulfilled. Number three, the fact that the soldiers pierced Jesus' side rather than breaking his legs is as it is written in Exodus 12 and Numbers 9, instructing the Israelites during the Passover meal that the lamb's bones were not to be broken. And then the psalmist writes, the Lord keeps all their bones, not one of them to be broken. Psalm 34. Now, according to those who have studied actually the grim mechanics of crucifixion, in order to breathe adequately, the crucified victim periodically had to push himself up using his legs. Breaking the legs prevented him from doing that, thus speeding up his death because he would quickly suffocate because he couldn't lift himself up to take a breath. The people asked Pilate to break the legs of Jesus and the two thieves crucified with him so that they would in fact die quicker, allowing their bodies to be taken down from the crosses before the Sabbath, which began at sunset. At Pilate's command then, the soldiers broke the legs of the thieves on either side of Jesus but not Jesus' legs, because they had discovered that he had already died. But just to make sure, instead of crushing Jesus' legs, as happened to the other two thieves, one soldier thrust his sword into Jesus' side. Again, fulfilling messianic prophecies. Not a bone of it will be broken. And then this, and they will look upon him with whom they have pierced. Zechariah 12. Taken by itself, each one of these events may seem incidental. No more than a sideshow to the cosmic drama being played out on the cross. Yet, John fills them with theological significance. They fulfill the words of the Psalms. Exodus, Numbers, and Zechariah. Down to the last detail, this death is seen to be God's doing. And the Son of God laying down His life on our behalf. If gambling under the cross fulfills prophecy, 
Can there be no doubt that this king of the Jews is the true king of Israel? If Jesus' words, I thirst, show him to be the Messiah, can there be any doubt that our redemption was accomplished? If the pierced side and unbroken legs are a sign, can there be any doubt that Jesus, dead on the cross, is Christ, our Passover lamb, sacrificed for us? But dear people, here is the main point in the crucifixion account. John gives us Jesus' last words before he dies. It is finished. It is finished, though, was not an admission of defeat. It was not an exhausted sigh of relief. No, it is a triumphant shout of victory. It is finished is one word in the Greek, tetelestai. Tetelestai means that the telos, the goal, has been reached. And in the Greek construction, this verb is in the perfect tense So the translation is this. It has been finished, thus it is and remains finished. Jesus said it is finished because he had suffered everything. Scripture said the suffering servant would suffer. But, but in addition, it is finished as a triumphal announcement of The atonement reconciling humanity to God. As the catechism puts it, Jesus has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent sufferings and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom. Salvation is finished. Forgiveness is finished. Opening the door to heaven and eternal life is finished. Jesus has done it. The sin that you could not overcome It's forgiven. The grave that you could not escape, it's destroyed. The devil that had you is defeated. And you are free. It is finished. So there is nothing to fear. His death is our life. His blood is is our hope. His suffering is our salvation. And you can be sure that Jesus will let nothing separate you from his love. It is finished. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.